Welcome to the FTF Exchange Podcast. This is Maureen Lowe, founder and president of FTF. In this podcast series, we speak with industry professionals from leading financial and technology firms in capital markets. We will discuss an array of topics from current events to the latest fintech updates to human interest stories from time to time. Through these discussions, we strive to foster thought leadership and information sharing, and we certainly welcome comments and feedback for future episodes. Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the latest edition of the FTF Exchange podcast series. Today, I'm speaking with Mark Natale, head of pre-sales and marketing for America at Murex. Earlier this year, Murex was the recipient of a major honor when its MX3 platform won Software Solution of the Year in the FTF News Technology Innovation Awards. The MX3 platform from Murex serves as the single source of reliable information for many groups within a financial services firm. The platform can support sales group, traders, quants, treasurers, back office operations, accountants, controllers, risk managers, and IT staff within a firm. The system also updates in real time across assets and domains. For this podcast, we will talk with Mark about the ways that financial services firms can speed up their digital journeys amid volatility, uncertainty, and increased competition. So Mark, could you just quickly introduce yourself to our listeners? Sure, and uh, thanks for having me, uh, Eugene. Uh, so I head the pre-sales and marketing team at Mirax uh, here in New York. Uh, I've been working in capital markets for a bit more than 15 years in both Europe and the US. That means that I've been lucky enough to engage with uh, many buy-side and sell-side institutions, advise them and assess their digital journey and their platform consolidation programs. And I've done that across the US, Canada, and uh, Latin America. We are doing this podcast in late 2022. And there's a lot of economic uncertainty. How far along are banks, broker-dealers, buy-side firms, and other securities firms in their digital journey? Are they getting closer to their goals of full automation, uh, which is also known as uh, digital transformation? Well, if the industry is nowhere near the level of automation and digitalization established in retail banking, for instance... Uh, We observed over the past two years a clear shift in the way firms think about their capital markets ecosystem, uh, their architecture, and how they approach technology vendors like Murex. And in of itself, this is a clear indication that they're all getting closer to their digital transformation goals. So maybe let me explain this first, that most firms are switching from a very much product-centric approach to a client-centric approach. And their client's user experience is really at the center of this evolution. And that translates into many financial institutions requesting from vendors that their platforms have more advanced and more robust APIs. And so what does that mean in practice? It means that they have to follow standards. They have to provide documentation as code so that they avoid any learning curves on how to technically use APIs. And they can ensure that a working prototype can be reached in just a matter of hours. And they also expect a clear decoupling and agnosticity to language so that they keep using the framework and programming language of their choices, whether they use Java, C++, or Python. And so these firms, they go through in-depth proof of concept with vendors like us to ensure that this works in their IT ecosystem before doing any selection. And they usually want to leverage public clouds to do so. So that's my first indicator, about 85% give or take of the request I get from my prospective clients, they fall into this category. Now I can break it down 
uh, a bit further for you. Um, we can break down the market so that uh, your uh, listeners understand a bit uh, where uh, each client is in the, the digital journey. So under the claim of modernizing their IT ecosystem, uh, you have financial institutions that primarily follow two pathways. Okay, so the first one is the firms will see consolidation as a prerequisite for automation and streamlining services to their clients. Essentially, they want their own teams to be able to develop efficiently and deliver new value quickly for their sales, their relationship managers, their clients. And again, they want to prototype within a few hours. And this short time to market that they now request, again, that's a clear indication of how far along usually the firm is in their digital journey. And so in this category, you mostly have medium-sized broker dealers, private bank, uh, medium-sized insurers, as well as pension funds. And then you have on the other side, the firms who don't see system consolidation as a prerequisite. And we see that mostly with the large mega banks, especially here in the US, and large hedge funds. They rely on a collection of in-house and vendor system and where digitalization requires interoperability. Now, here's the catch really. Some of these systems, they're super old and you have main friends that prevent enterprise-wide deployment of their digital transformation. So in a nutshell, to answer your question, although these firms, they go at it at different speed, I definitely see most of the clients today moving further along in their uh, digital journey. With so much market uncertainty, what, what is the likelihood that firms might halt their digital journeys or, or would they speed them up before markets get worse? Well, that's a good question. And I think I know what you're thinking. Um, you have inflation that is up by 8%, give or take, at least in the US. Uh, you have market volatilities that remains high. The market downturn over the last year, I think it was about 20% of S&P year to date. And all of this must have had a direct impact on budget and in particular technology budget. And while you're correct, uh, it did not stop that digital journey though. It actually made it even more important and urgent. Uh, and one of the rationals really is that the trading volumes keep on increasing no matter what. And I was looking at uh, the other day at the latest uh, Bank of International Settlement report. And they were sharing that the trading on the OTCFX market has been up 14% between 2019 and 2022. And the trading activity in the US grew uh, by more than the global average in itself. Now, some might say on the right side, for instance, that the turnover of OTC interest rate derivatives declined uh, from 6.2 trillion to 5.2 trillion a day. But again, this is not a reflective of the whole market. That's essentially due to the collapse of frost trading due to the uh, LIBOR discontinuation. But if you look at the swap uh, market, um, the swap trading market, it increased by about 10% on the same period. So that's really one of the rationale why um, this digital journey is so important. And honestly, looking back, your question very much reminds me of the last downturn we had in 2009 with the great financial crisis. I remember back then, we clearly saw budget cost. Um, the budgets were tightened a lot due to the recession. And many firms at the time realized they had to consolidate their infrastructure further and accelerate so-called replatforming project so that they can streamline their operations and essentially protect shrinking margins. So in short, volatility, inflation, rate hacks, all of these things are factors accelerating, if anything, the digital journey, uh, at least based on what I've seen with, with our client base today. Okay. So when it comes to trading, risk management, and related systems, 
Many firms are, are showing signs that they are eager to centralize and consolidate their systems and applications. What are the major business drivers behind this consolidation effort? And then what are the rewards? Well, a few years ago, the primary driver for system consolidation was predominantly regulatory driven. I'd say more than 60% of the cases. And indeed, when you looked at the regulations like unclear margin rules, fundamental review of the trading book, standard approach for counterparty credit risk, many firms realized how key the need for data and analytics consistency really were. This consistency was required across all of their asset classes, across front office, middle office, risk and finance. And at Mirax, that's what we had called at the time urbanization. It was a term borrowed from architecture, and it means that essentially when you look at your value chain, there should be only one place where you hold a certain data and only one place where you do a certain type of calculation. And so that's really, again, enterprise data management was really seen as a key differentiator. But it was about regulation, really. But there is so much more than regulatory-driven consolidation today. And maybe I can share a few examples uh, with you today. So the first one that comes to mind is uh, the cost of incremental change. You see that the markets are changing. You have new products manufactured, digital assets, private markets, ESG, carbon emissions, and so on. And the firm's technology teams, they want to have a predictable way of onboarding new business and a predictable budget. And consolidating enables this, and it does it at a lower cost. So that's the first driver. The second driver is the speed of incremental delivery. And they want this to increase, which really, when you look at a fragmented technology, is a clear impediment to a um, good time to market. The third driver I see is what a number of um, CTOs define as strategic positioning for the future or future proofing. That's what I've heard. The idea is that relying on a consolidated platform where market evolutions, regulatory updates, market connectivity updates, technology innovations are all done consistently, is perceived as key for the firm's development. It facilitates the interoperability with other technologies such as DLT-based application, and we know that they get more traction in areas like repos or return swaps trading, at least in the US. It also facilitates implementation of AI, machine learning, deep hedging on top of their core centralized system. So future-proofing is also a third driver. And fourth, it's something that uh, has been there forever, and it's more on the functional aspect, which is you have a number of functions that are extremely difficult to achieve without a centralized system. And I take a few examples, I'm sure that you've seen with your uh, audience. You have, a, for instance, having a single source of truth in real time of the firm-wide inventory of securities for collateral management or for securities finance optimization. Second example, how can you have a real-time PNL analysis tool for the head of trading desk across FIC and equities? Third example, how can you provide a great user experience to your hand clients who expect a 360 view of all their operation and access them via APIs? Fourth example, trade regulatory reporting. Here again, we have regulations coming in. I think we have the CFTC rewrite expected for next month. And so in all these examples that I've been sharing with you, centralized data management and improved UX user experience is absolutely key. So that's really, I would say, four drivers that I've seen among my client base. Now I want to add to it um, 
because it's not that simple. If you look at consolidation, it requires the willingness to simplify in the areas of non-differentiation. And one of our clients was sharing a few weeks back, and, and I'm quoting the client. They were saying, simplify where you can and do it relentlessly and continuously. And that means that they're seeking consolidation and they think it's best done in the selected way, only where potential business process are retained outside of the centralized system, integrate seamlessly through APIs. And finally, to answer your, your, your question, there were quite a few questions uh, in, in your question, it's uh, related to rewards. So our clients usually get two types of benefits. The first one is the overall running cost and the benefits by moving multiple systems just into one. The second type of benefit they look at and they measure is the pace of change after consolidation and how it compares to the pace prior to the consolidation. And I personally like to focus on the second aspect and I can share a few examples of a client I work with, um, a swap dealer in, in the US. What this client had done at the time, they had done an initial large consolidation and a couple of years later, they added a new desk moving from legacy system onto this centralized system, which was Murex in their case. And so let me share just a few examples of the benefits uh, they had. So it took them 30% fewer mandates to release a new product compared to prior uh, consolidation. They managed to reduce their IT support team cost by 45% as well. That's on the quantitative side. Now, qualitatively, it's interesting as well. Um, they were sharing with us that the system allowed them to price better and more competitively. And that's essentially because of the digitalization of the workflows between the trading desk and their sales force. And essentially that also translated into their client-based expansion. And finally, also something qualitative, nonetheless extremely important, is that such project of replatforming is an enabler for a more efficient target operating model for our clients, where the teams can be best organized and they don't have to be siloed because of a fragmented IT stack. So that's a short overview, really, of drivers and rewards I've seen around the consolidation, Eugene. So the, that's a lot of change. That's quite a bit, of, uh, you know, that's, that's, those are some major, major overhauls. At what point uh, along this digital journey does it make sense for a firm to consider a wholesale replatforming effort rather than bit by bit? Although we engage with digital banks created just a couple of years ago, many firms we work with have been around for decades. They have legacy fragmented IT infrastructure. And in this context, replatforming is the one enabler for the digital journey. I shared with you earlier um, high-level segmentation between the firms that historically favor system replatforming and firms that favor a collection of best-of-breed systems. And maybe I can focus on the first category uh, now. Uh, what I see is that their successes and rewards obtained along the digital journey is essentially linked to the approach taken by these firms to consolidation. And so I can explain this further if you want. Um, and I can share three main pathways towards replatforming and digitalization uh, that I, I've seen. So the first pathway is you consolidate one system at a time. It generates cost saving by sunsetting legacy systems. It minimizes overall integration efforts and the change is less disruptive for users because one system at a time is replaced. 
And so in that scenario, the firms see immediate benefits on digitalization for the users and business processes that were all in the legacy system that just got replaced. So that's the first approach, consolidate all si one system at a time. The second scenario is a bit different, is some of the clients, they want to consolidate by financial product. So let's say you want to look at front to back to risk for a given financial instrument. And the benefit here is that the institution gets a very fast convergence since the entire chain is redesigned and not just a portion of it. It also gives them the ability to phase in sub-releases because an instrument family might be split into many subcategories. So for instance, you can look at uh, Govis trading, then muni bonds, then mortgages. Okay. Now the downside of this is that there is an interim period during which the system to be decommissioned is still used and it is progressively replaced. And during that transition period, you can't really achieve a full digitalization. And then you have the third scenario, which is what we call consolidation by function. So for instance, you want to consolidate all trade capture. You want to consolidate all position management. What I've seen is that this is mostly relevant for complex and monolithic legacy systems. And the downside of doing that is that the integration can be complex and it makes digitalization partial again. So similar to the second scenario. So these are the three main um, approaches I've observed on, on the market so far. Mm -hmm. So many firms have realized their digital overhauls and have enabled them to better serve their clients who are investing in new industry offerings such as digital assets and cryptocurrencies, although they may be having second thoughts about some of the uh, cryptocurrency efforts. What will most firms have to do to accommodate client demands for crypto and digital asset transactions? Well, let me start with um, this. Digital asset is in itself a new asset class. From instrument definition, exchange listing, custody model, disintermediation for margining, availability 24-7. So it's not just adding a new payoff to an existing asset class. Many crypto native firms have emerged over the past few years and they are only invested in this market. But for all other institutional investors in capital markets, mostly coming from uh, traditional finance, it's important to look at three aspects fueling the crypto adoption. The first one is market driven. While most of these firms, they want to expand their product offering to retain clients and they're looking for diversification and or alpha. So that's the case of many brokers and private banks, for instance. The second aspect to look at is regulation. There's been much talk over the last year, especially in the US, around the framework regulating digital assets. Uh, we're recording this podcast just a week after the collapse of FTX. That will most likely lead to increased scrutiny and regulation of cryptocurrencies as well. And the third aspect is standards. That's a very important one for us. When you look at the uh, ISDAS Digital Assets Legal Group, they're developing standard contractual term for OTC crypto derivatives. And we see other similar initiative around smart contract as a whole. So all of this will further develop market adoption. So having this in mind, you were asking what do these firms need to do to offer crypto to their clients or digital assets as a whole? Well, the first thing they have to do is to define a clear strategy. They need to define which assets in particular, which service they want to offer or invest in. You look at the market, it's still ultra fragmented today. And most likely it will remain so unless regulations really kick in. It requires a heavy KYC process. It requires a thorough legal review. And again, the recent bankruptcies in this market are an indication of that. The second thing they have to do is on technology side. And that's what I see most on my side 
They need to ensure their IT system can cater for the instrument definition, whether that's for cash trades, for futures listed options, or OTC derivatives. Blindly reusing existing equity, forex, or commodity system is not a scalable solution for most of them. They will have to develop connectivity for execution, for settlement and custody, as well as thinking about the use of digital assets themselves for collateralization of other assets. That's something we've seen as emerging, and that can be interesting for a number of firms today. And the last aspect I would mention to you is, and I think it ties back to our previous topic, is that the sales side, for instance, they want to provide a complete reporting through client statements of the investment across TradeFi and DeFi. On the buy side, they want their internal systems to do the same. They want to look at the NAV, their risk holistically across all types of investments. And having all these assets consolidated in one system is the best way to do that. And you were asking me about digital assets, but this is true beyond uh, these assets. If you look at other markets that got a lot of traction this year, the voluntary carbon market, for instance, we know that you know you take last year it was um, around one billion dollar in value. It's expected to reach 30 billion by the end of the decade. And we know that the best way to support such growth is once again by leveraging a consolidated platform. So that's true for carbon emission. It's also true for ESG trading as, as an example. So, you know, all these steps that we see on the digital assets trading, we see them for other newish asset classes as well. So that's in a nutshell, really, the logical steps that one can expect to enter such a market uh, and their implications on the technology side. So uh, how has the digital push, the, the digital journeys by your clients, how has that impacted the way Murex interacts with clients. What about the interaction has not changed? Yeah, maybe let me start with our mission statement. Our core mission at Murex is to deliver a total capital market experience to the industry. It means that our clients can rely on our platform and our services to consolidate their data, centralize their analytics, and digitize their business processes across their entities and business lines, across all capital markets activities. That's really what we're doing. And so quite logically, the increased digital push dramatically changed the way we interact with clients. I can take uh, two examples. The first one is that the simplification and the standardization changed the way we could and did source our own staff at Murex. Um, and ironically, uh, COVID did that too. So it changed further the way we deliver software to our clients especially for many firms that didn't want to own their tech stack any longer. So they reach out to vendors like Murex so that they could leverage their software as a service offering, where the vendor, where Murex, is operating the platform on their behalf. So of course, we've evolved a lot over the past five years in terms of managed services. We make it much easier for this firm to inject constant innovation to support their business through a DevOps methodology, and with services providing continuous integration. So we as a vendor, we have more skin in the game than before. We engage even more as a trusted partner than just a tech provider. Uh, that allows us to play a role of advisor better. And it also allows us to preserve something that is very important to us and obviously to our clients. It's the flexibility. That's the ability to adapt our services and our products to our clients and not the other way around. So that's the first aspect. The second aspect, and I believe this is true for all types of clients, is that 
Um, Murex itself as a company, we engage in our own digitalization journey. So we digitize much more everything related to training, everything related to learning courses, to support. That's an initiative we had internally, we call that digital care, and that enabled our clients to get better, faster, and easier support in the end. So that's what changed. But you were also asking, Eugene, what had not changed despite uh, this digital push. And I feel like to say that, you know, the business is 100% about people today. That does not change. And what has not changed as a consequence is the way we engage with people, with our clients, to ensure that an IT transformation program that we talked about in this podcast can run smoothly. And so there are three success factors we still share with our clients. Uh, early on, we engage with them. That was true five years ago. It's still true today. And the first thing we tell them is that we need board sponsorship. And the reason for that is that, as one of my clients was reminding me a few weeks back, is that every department wants to standardize in their own way within their own domain. And so obviously, you need to have a call for alignment across, across departments. The second thing we tell them is that we still want Murex, our clients, and potentially system integrator to act as one single team and have all parties fully involved at all levels. That remains true still today in 2022. And the third aspect is we still encourage management stability. Some of these projects, you know, they are multi-year programs. They're important strategic program for many of our clients and the stability is still key to meet the deadlines. Digitization makes some of these programs go faster. Most of the time it makes business as usual go faster, but this stability is absolutely key. So these are the main impacts um, that I, I can share with you around digital push and how it impacts the partnership with clients and partners. Okay. So it seems like the, the digital journey is inevitable and that basically you need a, a platform or a series of platforms in place to gird yourself for what it for what is coming, be it, you know, be it cryptocurrency or as you said, carbon emissions instruments or whatever somebody else is, is inventing right now as we speak. So thank you very much for your time, Mark. This has been a really great conversation. Thank you. Thanks very much. And uh, nice talking to you, Eugene. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode of the FTF Exchange podcast. If you would like a turn in the hot seat, reach out to us at info at ftfnews.com and let us know what capital markets topics you'd like to discuss. Also, be sure to sign up to receive our email alert so you don't miss out on listening to future episodes. Just visit ftfnews.com and click the sign up link at the top of the page. Thanks again for listening to the FTF Exchange podcast. Mm-hmm.